Welcome to another episode of Exploring Possibilities. I'm your host, Cheryl Sitz, and are we in for a ride today? It's been five years since I had a very special guest on the show, and he promised to come back when he was ready to tell us the secrets about where all of this wisdom came from. And he contacted me earlier this year ready. So we're diving in today with none other than Duran Yitzhak Gibor. He was on our show, let's see, let me get this right, April 15th of 2018. And let me tell you who he is now. He's an international speaker, healer, and master coach, specializing in the unconscious mind and shadow-induced breakthrough. His form of coaching is called Breakthrough Matrix Coaching. And his groundbreaking method of shadow work called Shadow Breakthrough helps you break through unconscious blockages and patterns by accessing suppressed and denied aspects of the self. This leads to an accelerated expansion of consciousness and a radical rise in one's vibrational frequency into a totally new bandwidth where goals you've never been able to achieve simply manifest organically, effortlessly. His website is www.duranyitzak.com and his learning site is www.breakthroughmatrix.com. His style is very unconventional, very breakthrough, and I wanted to know where it came from. And when he told me, I was delighted. I said, you've got to come back and talk about it. Welcome, Duran. Thank you, Cheryl. It's so awesome to be back. I feel like, uh, I feel like there's a bit of closure going on, at least for me. Yes, and every closure is a new beginning, so that's exciting. It's a it's a portal to the next level, right? <laughs> that's what we're dealing we deal with next level all the time. Yes. So when I heard you talking, I was like, you know, wisdom like this, there are many people out there who are regurgitating what I'll call the wisdom of the world. Things that we already know, repackage it, put it out there. You don't do that. So I wanted to know where you get this kind of information from. And do you want to share what you said to me then? Well, I think to put it bluntly, I said something along the lines of um, I've drank more ayahuasca than many people will drink in 50 lifetimes or something to that effect. Um, so um, besides being absolutely obsessed with complete circuits and frameworks of information. Um, I did spend between uh, 2013 is when I started, but primarily between the years of 2015, 2018, about three strong years where I had um, extensive shamanic experience, primarily with ayahuasca, but also with Huachuma, also known as San Pedro. Um, and a little bit of Iboga, but not not as much. But um, I could say, or well, I regard ayahuasca as as my primary teacher. And I was delighted to hear that because for people who work with her rather than there are many out there who, who have experiences that aren't about personal growth, aren't about breakthrough. You can work with her like you can work with anything and what you get out is usually what you put in. And you put your whole self in and you got this whole framework 
for us to work with. And that's profound. And how long did it take you to convert all of those downloads into something that we could understand? Um, well, that's a really good question. Um, so it began in 2015. I was, um, I was working closely with a shaman that had been trained in the Shipibo lineage. And um, he, wasn't, he wasn't really a typical Shipibo shaman himself. He was more, um, uh, let's call it new age, but his training was um, classical, at least to a certain degree. There's nothing really about him that can be called classical. He's a genius, um, very well-educated, extremely well-versed in, uh, in biogenetics, in um, uh, neurochemistry, biochemistry, nutrition, um, like a true, true genius. And he's to cook his own medicine. Um, but he was classically uh, trained in the Amazon. And when we met, we were talking about we were talking about um, my coaching philosophy. This was in mid 2014, I think. What happened was uh, a friend wanted to wanted to drink uh, medicine, and uh, when he told me about it, I thought that he wanted me to arrange a ceremony for him, but he didn't. He was announcing to me that he was going to bring this guy from, he used to live in LA at the time, he was going to bring him to Cape Town, I'm a South African, and um, he wanted to invite me. So I flew down to Cape Town and we had this private ceremony and I met this guy. I'm not going to mention his name. Um, we'll just refer to him as my, as my teacher. So I met my teacher with uh, at this private uh, house on the, on the beach in Cape Town. And I was quite taken by his medicine. At that time, I think I had about, probably about 20 ceremonies, um, somewhere, somewhere around that, maybe a little bit more, maybe a little bit less. And we were talking about, I was talking about how, how uh, amazed I was with his medicine. Because what he did was, um, and this is not common practice, but it actually makes perfect sense, is that he would separate with ayahuasca is the only medicine that's that's made up of more than one plant. All other medicines are essentially one plant. Whereas ayahuasca, you've got to take this vine and do something with it, and then you've got to take those leaves, and it's not of the same plant. Yes. And so you've got to you've got to um, mix these two plants that's i i i refer to it as that's what die vine means die is in two and vine is the vine that, that you've got this 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 uh, um mixture going on that is just like how did they know in the amazon to take of all the leaves and of all the vines take that vine and those leaves and mix them together in a specific way um but what he did was that he would separate the vine drink from the leaf drink so for those of you that don't know, um, the active ingredient in ayahuasca is a compound called dimethyltryptamine, shortened to DMT. And DMT is um, it's native to the human body. That means that if a person were to um, ingest DMT, 
the body would say, oh, look, DMT, let's break it down. And that process is called monoamino oxidization. So what happens is, is that the, the, the vine, which does not contain DMT, the DMTs in the leaves, the vine contains what's called a monoamino oxidizer inhibitor, or for short, an MAOI. And this is a compound that inhibits the body's natural breaking down of dimethyltryptamine so that the, the DMT doesn't get oxidized, it doesn't get broken down. And without this, you can't have a um, DMT experience unless it's smoked. And I would highly recommend to anybody that's considering it not to smoke. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's, my, that's my just off the cuff um, medicine is about transformation and the main aspect of transformation specifically in a psychedelic experience is integration yes and when the person smokes dmt while you can have a very divine experience and a very let's call it psychedelic experience is probably one of the most intense experiences that a person can i'm going to say survive because there's no there's no navigating of that space i mean if a person can reach a place of navigatability with smoking dmt and they in my opinion in my judgment they've done it too much so what my teacher would do is that he would separate the vine drink which was the inhibitor from the leaf drink which is the dmt he would separate these two and it makes sort of more sense to do that because traditionally it's one drink that's given. And in this time that the uh, once it's been ingested, there's a certain amount of time that is necessary until the, um, the inhibitor has been um, digested. And in that time, however long it takes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes, 20 minutes, the DMT is being oxidized. Mm. So it actually makes more sense from a uh, let's call it scientific or a nutritional point of view to drink the um, the inhibitor first, wait ten minutes, fifteen minutes, and then and then to have the the DMT afterwards or the leaves, the leaf drink let's call it, and that way there is a uh, a longer experience and none of it is quote unquote wasted. So I was uh, I was talking with him um, in Cape Town about this, and just he was, we were sharing. He was sharing some of his methodologies, and I was sharing my methodologies about coaching. And what he said to me was that the way that I approach coaching from uh, from a, an aspect of universal laws, law of gender, masculine principle, feminine principle, um, the way that I approach coaching, he says, is the exact same way that he approaches medicine and how he prepares the medicine. And I thought that was fascinating. So after just really just speaking like for hours, we decided that we were going to try working together, that he was going to bring um, his medicine and I was going to bring my integration skills. And we were going to try this integrative medicine experience together. And it worked really, really well. It worked really, really well. Um, we basically didn't stop for three years. So we would run, um, we would run a retreat basically every month um, in South Africa. At the time, he, him, and his wife lived in Cape Town, so there was like there was like their home base. 
once they left South Africa, it sort of like dwindled out. But we were running retreats basically every month and sometimes twice a month. And so um, it was basically my work to run these retreats and drink. And I was getting basically paid to drink medicine. Um, which is, I, at the time, I was like, how how did this happen? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not like I went to like a shaman school and said like, okay, well, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to hope that, you know, that one day I'm going to run retreats and then, and this will happen. It just sort of like, just sort of happened. And I was, I was uh, sort of like pinching myself, but very present. Uh, um, I knew what I was doing. Things were going very, very well. Um, and at some point, like after about, I think four or five, we, we got it down. We got down a three-day retreat um, into like, I don't want to say the perfect retreat, but it was just this perfect flow. It was a theme to the weekend. Um, it was more about the concept of transformation and not so much just about um, having a medicine experience. What, laid, what landed up happening is that there was so much of my coaching and integration that was given over that people that had been drinking for years would say that they've never experienced anything like it. The level of understanding that they reach within themselves and within, within the laws and within just the laws of transformation. See, if a person wants to transform, you can do it cognitively or you can do it psychedelically. It, um, the, the mechanism of transformation, whether it's, whether it's right brain, left brain, psychedelic or cognitive, it, it, it matters um, slightly less as the laws themselves. And so human transformation is actually one thing. It can, it can take different mediums and it can take different enclosements, but human transformation is one thing. It's almost like accounting is one thing. It doesn't matter what type of business you got. It doesn't matter what type of, what country you're in. The financial statements are the same. The, the structure of the business is the same. A person doesn't, doesn't like a business coach, doesn't like specialize necessarily in um, business type X or business type Y. You go to a business coach, he understands the, the principles of commerce. And so um, human transformation is pretty much the same. And what landed up happening was that there was this international demand because wherever there was medicine, I'll tell you the biggest thing that is lacking in the medicine community is integration. And yes. that's still the same today. It's yes, still it the is. same today. It, it doesn't matter where I go. It doesn't matter how much I hear about people going through, going through um, uh, medicine experiences. It doesn't matter what the country is. It doesn't matter who the practitioner is. There, some people, they'll have a medicine experience and everything will just fall into place. Everything will just be perfect. They'll get the answers that they need. They'll get the feeling that they, that they, that they wanted. They'll, get the, they'll have that breakthrough experience and then that's great that's great for them and i wish it was like that for everyone but but that's not how it happens for everyone in fact i dare i say it's a, it's a minority not a minority as in like 10 percent, but definitely less than 50 percent. definitely so um there there turned out to be this massive um, demand for quality integration um, and so that's basically how things started um, unfolding. And then to answer your question specifically, is that um, 
I wasn't aware of it at the time. I started receiving what we would call downloads. Um, probably, probably, probably around ceremony between 40 and 50. Um, I'm sure there's people that want to know how many times I have drank. And so the answer to that is I stopped counting at 105. Um, so we're probably looking at a few hundred, maybe close to 300. But like I said, wow. I stopped counting at 105. At some point, it was like, what am I counting this for? <laughs> in, in, initially, every single one was so important and so memorable. But after, like I said, after after I hit 100 and I was like still counting, I thought to myself, well, what, why am I why am I counting now? You know, it's like, do I count how many times I go to gym? Like, no. So I stopped counting. Um, the downloads began around 40 or 50. And I just want to um, explain what I mean by download. Because a lot of people use the word download as in like a realization. And I suppose it is very, very near or very similar to a realization. But a download, at least the way that I experienced it, was new information that wasn't there before. And so I downloaded, quote unquote, uh, an entire body or volume of information that today is uh, my breakthrough matrix coaching philosophy. It's the, uh, for those of you that can see, it's these diagrams that are behind me. Um, and if I can just insert here, if you're listening to this through one of our audio platforms, you can see this show on youtube.com slash Cheryl sit. So please come check out some of the video. He's got some charts behind him. Go ahead. Right. And just for anyone that wants to know, you can download, there's a PDF for free download at breakthroughmatrix.com. So you can help yourself to that. And there's some, some walkthroughs also um, on the site as well. So what, What's, what started happening was I was obsessed with universal laws, still am, um, specifically the seven hermetic principles. And I would ponder on these laws because while there are seven laws, there are many more derivatives. I'll give an example, the law of vibration speaks about the fact that everything vibrates. But one of the derivatives of the law of vibration is the concept of frequency. And so when we're talking about raising vibration, you can't just raise your vibration gung-ho, like there's no structure to it. There, there are frequencies, and there are bandwidths. Human, human vibration works in bandwidths. And so when, you, when a person says, I'm going to raise my vibrations, this, it's not just like a, like, it's not just a free-for-all. You know, it's not like when if a person, let's say, wants to uh, um, develop their body and sort of go on, let's say, uh, uh, take steroids and like really go full on, then there's a certain amount that a person can get, but essentially it's like, it's a free for all, just go lift, go lift weights and then just see what happens. Whereas with human vibration, that's not the case at all. Human vibration works in bandwidths and bandwidths have, a, have got a, a low end and a high end and your entire life is in your bandwidth. And what I, when I help people break through, essentially I help people break through into new bandwidths of vibrational frequency. It's extremely, extremely structured and non-linear to say the least. What I mean by non-linear, Human vibration can also be called self-value, which is an unconscious area of development. can also be called um, consciousness or self-awareness. Um, it's non-linear. It's non in fact, to explain the concept of self-value, I would need to use three diagrams and not one because it is non-linear. 
So what would happen would be I would be sitting in ceremony and in the state. And um, at some point I did stop getting sick. So for those of you that don't know, you, um, you drink the medicine and almost invariably, I'd say 95% of the time, person would get sick, like nauseous. And this nausea is, uh, it's, it's the preparing to let go of something. So something gets taken from a very intangible and often unconscious place. It gets put into your cavity, which is sort of like your torso, the core of your being. And then from there, it starts to just like bring your attention towards it in a very uncomfortable way. At some point, and most of the time, again, not 100%, but at some point, this discomfort, this nausea erupts into a purge, we like to call it, but technically it's a vomit. There's this vomit, and then there is something tangible that is sort of like you get to let go of, which the value of this in terms of healing is, is, is humongous, to actually like let go. There's a dislodging of something. So I stopped getting sick at some point, and so I would be what we'd say in the medicine i'd be feeling the effects quite strong and i'd just be able to just sit and meditate in the space it just happens to be that um i enjoy that space very much so it was a very it was a very um it was a very enjoyable meditation let's call it like that same way i suppose if someone really likes a cup of wine and then likes to sit outside and look at the sunset that would just be a really enjoyable experience. And so um, I'm talking in those type of terms. And what I would do in this meditation is that I would just contemplate and really just meditate on a my own visual representation of the laws and all their derivatives. I'm just obsessed with this information. The reason that I'm obsessed with it, just as a caveat, is because uh, I went through a very, very tough time in life in uh, 2011, and I was at a dead-end job. And I, at some point, and this is a nutshell, I realized that my whole life, or my model of reality, as it's referred to, was built on my perception. And my perceptions and my values and everything that I thought that I, that I knew, it got me to this hellhole, this dead-end job, this really, like... <laughs> dead end is probably there's no more dead end than 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 what this job was for me and i basically realized that i got everything wrong that the model that i created meaning the map of life that i had designed for myself of like this is how life works it was an outdated map so imagine trying to like get around the country with an outdated map you're not going to get to where you want to go and it's going to take you a long time to figure that out and many of us do that. Many of us don't wake up until we realize that what we thought would make us happy led us where we didn't plan to end up. So that's beautiful. That's right. That's right. I, I, I was fortunate enough to hit the bottom of my barrel because not everyone's fortunate enough to hit the bottom of the barrel. When you hit the bottom of the barrel, there's a gift there. I, I call it the gift at the bottom of the barrel. And this gift at the bottom of the barrel is a decision, a resolution so strong, so strong, so unbreakable that it changes life forever. Yes. But you have to get to the bottom. And not everybody, not everybody gets to the bottom of their barrel. Some people get to like a third of the way. And the problem with being a third of the way is that it's not the bottom of the barrel. And it doesn't evoke that like, degree of change. Yes. Exactly, exactly. Exactly. There's sort of like, 
this is bad, but I can manage it. This is bad, mm-hmm. but I can manage it. This is bad, but I can manage it. I got to a place where like, this is <laughs> unmanageable. Yes. This is like, there is no ways that I'm prepared to live my life like this. So um, I became obsessed with laws because I knew that my perception was flawed. It was an illusion. And so the only thing that's not an illusion that I can be sure of it, even with my flawed perception, are universal laws. So I became obsessed with universal laws, or as I like to call them, the truth. And uh, it was it was awesome to learn that the truth had a structure to it, and the truth can be can be learned, and it can be understood, and a person can then build a model reality that's based on these laws or these truths. And um, something amazing, amazing happens when they all click into place. Something amazing that it can't be put into words, the, um, the experience of when the laws click into place and a, pers- and a person reaches a level of understanding that could be called expertise of the laws. I highly recommend it to, to everyone. But to go back to my original um, line of thought, so I'd be sitting in the States and just contemplating on the laws, contemplating on the derivatives, contemplating on the story of healing. And the story of healing is that in childhood, a person goes through a negative imprint. This negative imprint is painful on one level or another. It may not, for some people, it's traumatic. For other people, it's not traumatic. But for everyone, it's painful. And it's because of this negative imprint that a person gravitates towards its polarity and where I'm the most wounded, I am the most accomplished. That's basically the uh, like Jung 101. So I'd be contemplating on the story of healing and the story of transformation and the laws and the derivatives. And I'd just be in bliss. I wasn't trying to get anywhere. I was just like, this is what I want to do with my time. I just want to think about stuff. And so while thinking about it, I got, it was like, at some point, I got told, well, just, yeah, try this into the mix. And then I'd be given like something new into, into the mix of, of the thought. And it would, I'd be like, whoa, that, that's incredible. And I'd have to like, let my head get around it and sort of integrate this new bit of information that wasn't there before. And because I was in the teaching, I could integrate it pretty quickly because it made sense. It was pretty mind-blowing. And that sort, of, that sort of happened again and again and again. And over a course of about nine months in 2015, all of these downloads happen, all of these diagrams, which is basically teach this concept like this. Teach this concept like this this is a good visual depiction for this. Use this to teach this. Combine these two diagrams in order to get this point across. And I was basically getting shown how to teach people the laws, how to get the point across in sort of like um, in an accurate way, in an understandable way. It just so happens that one of my gifts is that I'm very good with metaphors. And so every now and again, I'll be teaching something that I've taught many times. And then 
out of the blue, a brand new metaphor will come and sort of, I'll use that. But essentially, to answer your question, it took about nine months in 2015. I still didn't have shadow breakthrough specifically as, a, as in like a new form of inquiry and a new form of shadow work that came a little bit later. But the information, the actual building blocks in terms of a philosophy that turned later then turned into a methodology, that, that happened over nine months in 2015. Wonderful. And it's funny how now moving to more recently that you decided to share all of this after another big shift. I, I want to say the influx of the role of spirituality, because this all sounds very scientific. And yet to look at you now, you're clearly a very spiritual man. And so I'd really love to hear about how spirituality and this breakthrough healing that you now perform came through in more recent ceremonies and in more recent pathways of your life to the extent that you feel like sharing what you feel like sharing about that. Okay. So first of all, I want to just say that um, I identify as, an, as, a, as a Hasidic Jew. So um, a Hasidic Jew, for those of you that don't know, it's not just someone with the beard and the sideburns and what have you, but a Hasidic, Hasidic Jew is someone that um, looks to the inner workings of the Torah or the Old Testament to find um, to find the human aspects of this. Let's call it a rule book. Let me see if I can try that, if I can explain that better. In today's day and age, there's a lot of talk about energy and about collective and about consciousness and, and about vibration and about um, 5D living. That's probably the best way to put it, 5D living, where um, there is a different aspect of life that a person needs to take into account in order to um, in order to mitigate the profundity of like human existence, because gone are the days where you can just like you know a person wants to walk outside and like be absolutely um, enamored by a view. There's so much more that goes into living consciously today, whether it's diets, whether it's practice, whether it's meditation, whether it's human connection. Uh, the books, the books we read, and the things that are sort of like um, available, just for just in general for human consumption. And so, what I found is that um, being a Hasidic Jew, or some people call it an, an, an ascetic, this is the most relevant yet ancient form of living with the energetic times. Um, so I'll give you an example. What's pulled me in into into uh, into my 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 ethnicity my ethnicity and specifically into um, kabbalistic um, frameworks is not just not just the fact that I'm into 
mysticism and not just the fact that I'm into spiritual frameworks, which if you look at the, at the seven laws, that is technically a spiritual framework. Yes. The, the seven laws, if it's, if it's something that's intangible, intangible means spiritual, right? Spiritual does not necessarily mean belonging to a specific sect of spirituality. Spiritual means that which is not tangible or metaphysical. So as someone that is highly attracted to spiritual frameworks and metaphysical frameworks, I have found within the scripts that I, that I study, basically my entire coaching philosophy of shadow work, of breakthrough, of, um, of deep inquiry. So for me, one of the things that um, I love the most about the life that I live is that there is, um, there is a routine. So what am, I, what am I mean by that? There's a routine. Once upon a time, my routine was waking up early and going to gym and then doing my work. But today, I find that because I have an avenue to be able to connect to the divine and to be able to connect to God in a very structured way, it gives me like these spiritual push-ups to do. It gives me something actual that I can actually do with my mind, with my body, with my, with my being, that there is an actual practice that may be tedious sometimes, but anything worthwhile becomes tedious at some point. You know, there's this whole um, the debate between motivation and discipline. Motivation is is very romantic and it's actually for rookies. A person can be motivated, but motivation, it doesn't last as long as discipline does. And so what I find is that being able to have this, um, this routine where I'm able to connect to, um, divine, to the divine through a framework, through a framework of prayer, through a framework of, of, um, of reading, of practice, it gives me something, some something physical to sort of like sink my teeth in. So that's that's what I love. Um, what I'm also extremely blown away by is that um, the word Kabbalah, which is basically the uh, generic term for all things Jewish mystical. Kabbalah means, it means receiving. That's what the simple word means, but it's also, it also means parallel from the word Hakbalah. And what is amazing about um, Kabbalistic writings and Kabbalistic teachings is that it's essentially a study of creation and specifically how everything in creation is parallel to everything else. Almost like, I don't want to say fractal, but the, the, the word is parallel, that there is a correspondence, if you want to, in, the, in terms of the, um, the seven laws, the law of correspondence, that there is a parallel nature between all things created. And seeing this parallel, it, it takes away the very notion of randomness. It takes away the very notion of like, um, yeah, randomness. 
basically you cannot be an atheist after studying Kabbalah. <laughs> it's just it's just not possible that that the that the, the the inquisitive mind can see so much parallel into so much detail from the smallest thing manifested to the greatest thing manifested from things pre-manifestation. It's just it really is mind blowing. So that's what that's what I love so much about um, the, the lifestyle. Um, and, and I just want to say that um, the medicine world, specifically the psychedelic world, it's not necessarily, in fact, it's not that I can just walk into my community and say, hey, guys, I, you know, I've had a lot of psychedelic experience. It's not like that at all. Just like in every other religion, whether it's Christian or any any other religion, there's people that are open-minded that you can speak about these things to, and there are people that are completely closed-minded and you cannot speak about these things to. So the, typically the people that are open-minded, they understand that there is a difference between drugs and medicine. That's yes. sort of like the biggest um, different differentiator. And then there's people that like, no, if it makes you high, it's drugs, full stop in the story. Yes, and so there is still that even in my, um, in my in my circles. It's gotten to a point now, however, where like I actually don't care. <laughs> I don't care. Um, I bring a lot of legitimacy to, to the subject of um, psychedelia, and if somebody's going to judge me as a drug addict, then like, I just don't care. Good. Yes, you do bring a lot to it, and. And that is why, because I was just having this conversation this weekend at a retreat, I have a lot of honor and respect for what plant medicine has done for me. It changed my life in many ways, helped me see many things. And I'm still integrating the ceremonies that I've had, because integration is where it's at. And as much respect as I have, it's not for everyone. And what you think about that really is none of my business, because I feel that plants are divinely created and, and they're available for us and people will abuse anything. So it's really up to the integrity of the individual how that's handled. One thing that's come up for me that I'm curious to hear your perception around is surrender. Where is the role of surrender in such a structured, ordered way that we are creating and using the laws to manifest the life of our dreams. Is that surrender? Is there a place for surrender? What do you feel about that? That's an excellent, excellent question. There is no one specific answer, but there is a framework. So surrender, let's just define surrender. Surrender is not giving up, it's giving in. Mm -hmm. Okay, and it's, it's important to make that that differentiation. So there's a role that a person plays in the in the game of manifestation. There is a role that a person plays. A person's got to create what would be called a vessel. You can't just like sit around and like and 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 visualize all day without actually like creating the vessel, which is like your efforts and and um, doing things, or as Tony Robbins would say, taking massive action. <laughs> So a person does need to create a vessel. So there is there is the trying that a person needs to do. However, once a person sees that I'm trying and 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 I'm trying and, I'm trying and all of my inputs is not really going 
anywhere, that would be the point where I would say to someone, stop trying and now surrender. So there is a balance to be had. There's a part where I've got to make things happen. And then there's a part where I've got to let things happen. And there's no specific one time or one, like no specific one timing where a person goes, okay, make it happen, make it happen. You got three, two, okay, and now let it happen. It doesn't work like that. Um, a lot of people see a lot of success by just making it happen, just making it happen, just making it happen. But invariably, what got you here will not get you there. And ultimately, even tried, proven, and tested techniques at some point are not going to work. At some point. And I'm not, I don't wish this upon, I'm not wishing anything negative upon anyone. It's just that it's, it's just the way of the world that um, life is a journey. And the journey is about where you need to be and not so much where you want to go. And I, that's a that's a big pill to swallow. But um, I think one of the greatest paradoxes that, that there are is the paradox of freedom. A lot of people think that freedom is me having all the time I want to do, all the time I want in order to do what I want to do. That's not freedom. That's boredom. <laughs> the paradox. The paradox of freedom is that a person is only truly free when they swear themselves into a service of some sort. So when a person reaches that, that, that level of self-expression, self-actualization, where they deem themselves a servant, I've been gifted with gifts and I've honed my skills and I feel confident enough that I can do my thing the way that I was designed to do. And I'm, uh, I'm, it's only going to keep on getting better and better. Once a person re re realizes, okay, I'm so good at what I do that like, it can't just be for me. There's got to be like, it's here for, it's here for the, for the public. It's here for the, for like everyone else. And I'm not saying that a person should give away things for free. Absolutely not. If there's no exchange, then there's no, there's no significance or meaning attached to, what a person receives but at some point when a person realizes okay i'm here for a certain purpose i'm here and this is my service and now i'm just going to be placed on the divine chessboard wherever the player with a capital p sees me you know as uh, necessary once that happens and a person goes into this place of of like service of like sworn service which is ultimate freedom um, I'd say that the the balance of w when to make things happen and when to let things happen it becomes a it becomes almost like an innate type of dancing rhythm. It becomes sort of a rhythm that I can hear and feel within myself. That I don't need something on the outside. There's there's this, there's this attunement that happens, an alignment that happens. Um, I hope that makes sense. It did. Thank you. That's that seems to be a, a division in the schools of teaching. There's there's create your own reality and go for it, and then there's surrender and into the bliss of what will be, and 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 that one is more spiritual or less spiritual than the other, or one is more science driven. And I love what you said. I mean, I don't anymore see a division between science and spirituality. I think science is our trying to understand what is beyond understanding, which is all ultimately spiritual anyway. Um, so thank you for that. Wow, we've covered a lot. Um, 
I love that this was your coming out about the origins of all of this and your a bit about you and your history. Is there anything that we haven't touched on that you'd like to add about your perceptions around the use of plant medicine, how it's affected you? Anything else you'd like to say about that? She's, I could, I could talk for many, many hours. <laughs> um, I think, I think maybe just a word of, of caution and at the same time, a word of encouragement is that once upon a time, in order to have a medicine experience, a person would have to travel long and far to get to these remote places. Whereas now, by the grace of God, medicine, ex medicine experiences are basically available around the corner for most people, which is a very, very, very big blessing. Um, just the word of caution is really try to understand who it is that you're going to have your medicine experience with. There is a certain degree of trust that, has, that, that happens. I remember when I would send out emails to my mailing list, there'd be people that had no idea. It was just a, really just a matter of trust. Never seen you before, never heard you before. I'm paying money to someone that I don't know. And I'm just going to hope that I rock up and everything's okay. You know, um, obviously, um, I had a there was a, there was a reputation, and so it wasn't just like completely new. But for the most part, there is a certain level of trust. But what I would say to people is really try and get an understanding of who it is that you're going to drink with, because there is um, there is a phenomenon called the uh, some people refer it as the insta shaman or the pop-up shaman, or basically it's usually a well-meaning individual that saw a, um, saw a skilled facilitator do his work and made it look easy, quote-unquote. And the person thinks, wow, this is such a good experience. I had such a good experience. Um, I can do that too. And there's a growing trend of these pop-up shamans and insta shamans. So my word of caution would be really try and understand who it is that you're going to um, put your trust into, to whatever degree. Um, sometimes it's more possible than others. But the word of encouragement is, is that um, you are loved and you are guided and you are protected from a place so much higher than what a human being can do with, with like medicine and with a, with an email list that it's also just really, really important to know that every, every medicine um, experience that you have, that you're looking for, you're actually trying to bridge the gap between yourself and a higher power. And another way of looking at that is at least in the initial steps is, is between yourself and yourself. There's um, all disease, all ailments come from this place of separation. And without getting too, too philosophical, everyone knows what the void inside feels like, that I feel, I feel 
far away from myself or that between me and myself, there's this gap. And so ultimately what we're trying to do as human beings everywhere, all the time, I think with every with every medicine experience, with every relationship, with every human relationship, with uh, it, it, it's it's built into our own um, wondering and inquiry, is to bridge this gap of um, who am I? Who am I, and how do I get in touch with who I really am? How do I get to experience a, a knowing, a sense of like? this is who I am, this is what I stand for. And um, before that happens, it's difficult to, to create a relationship with the divine. There was this one um, very saintly uh, righteous man that was asked, where is, he asked his, his students, where is God? And some people said in the highest realms, other people said in the smallest details, you know, down to the atom or whatever. And his answer was actually, it's where you let him in or her in where you let the divine in, that's where God is, where you're able to let this presence in. And my understanding of that is that before I have a relationship with myself, it's difficult to let anyone in as opposed to like, I need help. So God, will you help me? Like looking for something outside of me. So just want to remind, just want to, despite my caution, just want to remind people that, Remember that you are guided, you are loved, you are protected. And I'm sorry, this sounds very like uh, airy-fairy, but it is the actual truth. Um, not long ago, I've been able to tap into a, uh, to a level of consciousness, which is known as the superconscious mind. It's beyond the duality of conscious and unconscious, yin-yang. And when I tap into this superconscious, this zero, this nothingness, this quantum field. The amount of love that I experience just that's just there. There's no other modality. It's just this pure love. It's 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 very profound. It's very difficult to give over to a person that's never experienced it. But what I'm trying to say is that it's not just airy fairy talking. It's not just like out there talking. There is a source of love that has all of this love directed to each and every one of us. And that love is a very, very, very real thing. And if you want to see that it's there, just look back at your life a year, two years, three years, six months, and you'll see that there is this divine hand that is controlling every single aspect of your life, every single second of your day. And it works with time delays. So I just want to, I suppose that's what I want to leave people with. Thank you. And this field that you describe that you tap into, that's the source of the healing work that you've been doing for people now. Do you want to speak it's about that? A, at all? Sure, sure. It's um, the answer to your question is no. What I do in Shadow Breakthrough is I help people tap into suppressed pockets of pain pretty much like what ayahuasca does only it's it's not sort of like did i purge did i purge that out did i let that go there's you can't really know when you're letting go of stuff in a psychedelic purge what you're actually letting go of a person can have ideas but you don't really know 
Whereas with Shadow Breakthrough, everything is facilitated. Everything is extremely left brain. And so you have a very, very good understanding of everything that you're going through. So the superconscious mind is more is um, it's like chat GPT for the soul. And I'll explain what I mean. There are three parts to consciousness. There's the conscious mind, the unconscious mind, and that's duality. The conscious mind wants a quality experience. It wants pleasure. It wants pleasantness. It wants an end to pain. It wants prosperity. It wants quality. Then you've got the unconscious mind that's not interested in quality. It wants quantity. So it wants familiar stuff. Its logic is, as long as there's nothing new, I won't die, even if that logic kills it. Mm -hmm. Okay. So if you want to program the unconscious mind, it's all about repetition, all about repetition. So the unconscious mind wants quality and repetition, nothing new. The superconscious mind, which is the consciousness of the soul. So like if a person's ever watched the near-death experience, once the soul comes out of the body, there's no duality of mind, conscious mind, unconscious mind. There's no sense of self, as in like the ego, which is a sense of self. There's just this pure, unlimited consciousness. And this super unlimited consciousness, the consciousness of the soul, it's there all the time, only it's dormant. So whereas, whereas I said before that the conscious mind wants a pleasurable experience, quality experience, the unconscious mind wants a quantitative and familiar experience, the superconscious mind doesn't care. It actually, it does not care. It just wants a stamp that says, I lived on earth. It doesn't matter if it was a pleasurable one, I was rich, I was poor, I was healthy, I was sick. It just wants, I lived. That's all it's interested in. It just, it turns out that this part of the, this part of the mind, this part of the consciousness it's very, very powerful, extremely powerful. And the reason that I say it's like chat GPT for the soul is because with chat GPT, the brilliance of chat GPT, at least in a user experience, is the prompt. You, you've got to be really good at giving instructions to chat GPT so that it's able to sort of like take shape. You're an expert in this. These are the conditions. These are the circumstances. Da, 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 da. And I want you to do that. And so working with a superconscious mind is very, very similar. So the only reason that I access the superconscious mind is for healing. And so my experience of the superconscious mind with healing is that I speak these instructions. For instance, I'll say to the superconscious mind, we're going to work with this person and these are, let's say uh, we're working with a certain amount of shadow beliefs or there's a broken heart or there's post-traumatic syndrome disorder. Um, let's work with that with some PTSD. Person's got PTSD and let's define PTSD as a series of pictures that won't go into the forgotten box. They just remain stuck. And these pictures or these like little clips, they've got a lot of very, very difficult and very painful emotions that are attached to them. So a person's basically in some, like they're basically being tortured by their own mind. Yes. Because there's these pictures that will not go into the it was box. They don't, they, they just remain current. And so if I was working with someone with PTSD and um, accessing the superconscious mind as a healing modality, I would say to the, I would say to, I would bring in the superconscious mind as like an assistant and say, okay, 
I get into the state, I need permission from the person in order to tap to tap into them because we're all connected through the superconscious mind. It's like a collective, a collective intelligence. And I would say to the to the to the superconscious mind, okay, this is the person, this is what they're going through, this is our objective. Please begin to address and treat the following aspects. So I'll say, please balance out all neurochemistries and all biochemistries. Do that now. So instead of enter, I say do it now. Please balance our pH system, increase alkaline and decrease acidity to an optimal level of between seven and 7.3. You decide superconscious, which is best for this individual. Do that now. Please unblock meridians, for instance. Please unblock uh, energy centers. And so all of these things are happening at the speed of speech. So I'm gonna leave it with that. I'm gonna, I can go into much, much more specific details. I can tell superconscious mind to, to detach and unlink all negative emotions that have got to do with these specific pictures. And it just becomes so like that, literally, to take these video, to take these pictures and to make them black and white. To, uh, to uh, yeah, just basically, I think you can call it psychoenergetic surgery. I suppose this is a, an accurate way of putting it. Or you can call, you can call it neuro-linguistic reprogramming. Yes. Which is sort of like, I suppose, maybe an evolution of neuro-linguistic programming. This is neuro-linguistic reprogramming. Whatever the case is, it, it, it is a, a heightened and much more accelerated modality of healing because it's instant. It does not absolve a person from their human experience, though. I will say that, that if a person has let go of something big, then there is a balancing out process that happens and there, there could be a purging process. Um, so it's, it's, it's heightened and accelerated, but it's not a shortcut. It's like having a very, 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 very powerful tool, but it's still a tool within the hands of the artist. And they can, and someone can contact you to learn more about working with you in this way as well. Absolutely, absolutely. And what do you call this work? This actual healing versus the coaching? Um, it's pretty new, so I actually haven't given it a name. <laughs> I just call them super conscious healing sessions. But like I said, it, it, it could be called um, psychoenergetic surgery because that's a really good and accurate explanation of what's going on. That. It feels like it feels like I went from having a iPhone 13, which is a very cool device to have in the palm of your hands. And instead of upgrading to a laptop, I upgraded to Jarvis, like uh, as in Tony Stark's computer that I'm like I'm moving things around. It's very, very cool. It's very it's a bit overwhelming sometimes when like I see like what's what's been possible in um, in a very short sp sp um, period of time, a very short space of time. And because the working, the working happens remote, then it can be done over Zoom. It can be done over the phone. It can also be done completely remotely. Obviously, if there's much more specific things, then obviously I would need feedback from a person. So we would do it in, per in person. But um, yeah, I, I find myself remote healer now which is a trip in its own right <laughs> i didn't want to let you get away without mentioning that though because it is fast growing for you and you mentioned how 
extraordinary it is. So I wanted to talk about it a little bit. And that was from your most recent trip into ceremony, correct? That this then this level came through for you. Was that there or it it, it didn't it actually didn't happen in ceremony. Um, in fact, I was in ceremony a few months ago um, in February, and I was dealing with uh, with my own um, issues. I was uh, I was going through a lot of pain, mm-hmm. and I'd been trying to heal this pain for over a year, and I'd I had some success, but not complete, and um, I was pretty sure that. I was pretty sure that I was going to get it sorted um, in ceremony. And uh, I was basically told, no, we're not going to talk about that. <laughs> we're not, we're not going to talk about that. And I was like, I was shocked. I was absolutely, absolutely shocked. I felt, I felt um, reject, re- rejected and abandoned by my teacher. And like my teacher, you know, this is a plant. So it's like, it was pretty bad uh-huh. rejection. Speaking of surrender, then, <laughs> weren't we speaking about exactly, surrender? <laughs> exactly. So what what landed up happening was I basically had to I had to find this um, completely in the meditative space, and I could only realize once I tapped into it and seeing the the massive massive ramifications that it's had on my life in such a short period of time, short space of time, is that um, had I found a solution to my problems in February, then I would have stopped looking. And I think that's, yeah, I don't want to say the plant knew because I don't like to use those terms, but in that realm, in that metaphysical realm, it was sort of like, you can't go there because you'll stop looking. Yes. And there is the role of the power greater than us that is always (laughs) helping to orchestrate. That is the surrender. Oh, that was beautiful how this came full circle. I'm so honored that you chose this show to share all of this. It's been wonderful to hear you speak about the plants in such a respectful and empowering way and to focus on integration because that is a passion of mine. People think that they can go into a plant ceremony and come out all better and it's going to fix all the problems and the work is still ours to do. There's the integration of the lessons that we learn because a lot of it's symbolic. There's the unpacking of it and then there's all of the habits that we've built on the old ways of being that we then address. So there's there's layers to this. And I love that you've come up with a framework that can help people to unpack that. So again, the website, duranyitsak.com. And if you go to breakthroughmatrix.com, you have so much material on there just available for us to explore and dive into. So I invite you to do that. Duran, thank you for your time. Do you have a parting thought you'd like to leave us with other than what we've discussed? No, I think we've covered, we've covered most things. It's just really great to be back. Um, I feel like, uh, I feel like I, I, I owed you this. <laughs> And thank you very much um, for uh, for mentioning about the amount of free stuff that's on my on my website. I really uh, feel a responsibility to get out the information. Um, so there there really is a lot of free stuff. There really is a lot of free stuff. Um, so people, I just want people to help themselves. 
Wonderful. Thank you so much for everything. And we hope you've enjoyed the show with us today, whether you joined us on YouTube or on Spotify or our website, journeyofpossibilities.com or any of the other platforms. We really appreciate you joining us. Let us know what you think. If you comment, we will respond. And we hope you'll join us next time for another episode of Exploring Possibilities.